How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, you know, we're in the book of First um, Thessalonians. I almost said First Corinthians. But we're in the book of First Thessalonians right now. And if we remember one thing from the book is that Paul is desperately stressing how important the gospel message is. That the entirety of the life of that church is based on the gospel's effectiveness, and his entire ministry is based on the gospel. That that is all he has to show them as far as how to live the Christian faith. The gospel is super, super important. And you know how long that I have been looking for a video or a picture that showed us cold fingers juggle green reindeers. We ended up having to make one. All right? And who here can tell us what this picture represents? Now, I already told you it represents cold fingers juggling green reindeer. But what what importance is that to the gospel? How do, how do we remember the gospel from something that weird and silly? How does that connect with us? Anybody want to take a brave step? Right, creation. We have to talk about the creation message, the, relate, the relationship that we had with God at the very beginning and how we are his creatures. So the gospel has to contain the message of creation. It then has to contain the message of the fall. Why did this separation happen? How did we get into this situation that we're in now with sin? What is the effect of sin? Our spiritual life. We're dead before God. We're enemies of his. Then we have that message of judgment, that juggling idea, the judgment, that there is a response that God has to sin and to the fall, and that response is judgment, and it is just judgment. It is good judgment. It is right judgment. And then we have the idea of grace. And grace is that answer to the fall. It is the answer to God's justice and judgment. It is the cross. It is Jesus Christ. It is the story of the revelation of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Everything is wrapped up in grace. And then we ask for a response. As we see in Scripture time and time again, the message of Christ is given, and then the question is asked, do you believe this? Or the question might be asked, what must I do to be saved? And then the answer is given. But there must be a response. There must be an action towards this gospel message of, I believe. It is mine. The message of the cross is mine. I believe that Christ has indeed done this on my behalf, and I claim his redemption and his righteousness as my own. So that idea of creation, the fall, uh, judgment, grace, and response, all wrapped up in that silly little picture of cold fingers juggling green reindeer. Anything that we can use to help us remember, what do I say when someone says, hey, why do you go to church? I go to church because the gospel's changed my life, and let me tell you what the gospel is. Let me tell you about the salvation message. And there you have it, right then and there. And Paul, from the very beginning, has been pressing this little church in Thessalonia, just that is struggling, that is facing persecution, that is facing trials, that is facing pressure from the political systems 
to adapt and change and get with the program and make Rome all important in their heart and life, Paul has to remind them time and time again, the message of the gospel transforms you from being of this world into a heavenly world. And we know that from the very beginning, Paul has been stressing out, you might say, wanting to get back to the city. He started the church, it was only there a short time, the church was flourishing, he gave them all he could, then he had to leave, he had to leave because of fear of his own life, and he keeps telling the Thessalonian church, I want to come back to you, I just can't, but I have an idea, I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy is real close to me, he's been on my missionary journeys, and we ended in chapter 3 where Timothy was being sent. So Timothy, between verse 4 and 5 and verse 6 and 7, there's probably maybe even a year's time difference between those two verses because now Timothy has come back with report, and one of the things that Timothy is reporting back is incredibly encouraging. Exactly what you want to hear from a missionary, exactly what you want to hear from a church plant, what you want to hear from a church that's been around 100 years is their faith is alive. It wasn't just words that went in and then left. It wasn't just a quick little excitement about the gospel, but it is real life gospel living. And he starts that encouragement in verse, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, in which he says in verse 6, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. This is the only time in all of Scripture, that the words good news, which is euangelion in Greek, which is the word we get for gospel, is used for something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news. Same exact word for the gospel, but it's used in a different context where Paul is saying, I'm hearing great things about you. And what does Paul say that Timothy is impressed with in that verse? Their faith and their love. Their faith and love. Their faith is that inward and outward expression of the reality that God has changed their life. It's their hope. It's their foundation of what, what makes me a Christian. My faith. Faith in what God has done, what Christ has accomplished, what He's promised, and what He's currently doing. It's faith. Now, Timothy doesn't say how much faith he's seen. He just simply sees faith. Because how much faith do you need in order to please God? It could be the size of a mustard seed. The size of faith does not matter. It's who your faith is in that matters. And so Timothy obviously sees their faith is in Christ. Their faith isn't in Paul. Their faith isn't in their culture. Their faith isn't in money and wealth and education. No, no, no. Their faith for their hope in life and death is in Christ. And Timothy notices their faith. How in the world did Timothy notice something like faith, which is unseen, right? You can't see someone's faith. It's, it's an internal kind of relationship and agreement that you have with God that you say this and I believe it. How does he see it? I think he sees it in the next thing he sees, their love. He sees their love. And it's not just words of love, obviously, it's actions of love. It's the stuff that James talks about when you see a brother in need, what do you do? 
You don't pat them on the back and say, hey, have a good time, and I'm, hey, I hope you get a job soon, and oh, I hope you get a shirt sometime soon, and oh, I hope you get fed sometime soon. I love you, brother. No. It is really taking the shirt off your back and giving it to someone in need, helping a brother or sister in Christ out to the point where it might hurt you, but it helps them. And so he saw that love. And Timothy's just reported it. Good news about faith and love. He continues in that same verse, he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. I think this is part of love as well, this longing to be with other Christians, this longing to be together, this longing to look past just a family relationship to a church family relationship. And Paul must have made a great impression on them. He definitely is the father of their faith. He brought them the gospel message to hear for the first time, and they long for him. They want that relationship reestablished. They miss him, just like Paul misses them. There's a real emotional connection between these two groups, between Paul and the church, church and Paul. And just as much as Paul wants to see him, they want to see Paul. And they have fond memories of him. They recite story after story. Remember Paul said this. Remember Paul did this. Remember Paul had to flee town because of the persecution. They're fond memories. And they're reciting those memories. They're excited about it. They are enjoying the relationship that they had with Paul and they have with Paul even now. He says even further in verse 7 in this first section about encouraging, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Yet again, Paul mentions their faith. Their faith. Not seeing God, not seeing Christ, not having scriptures in front of them, only the words of Paul to guide them and the Holy Spirit, which all you need is the Holy Spirit, I understand that. But their faith is vibrant and alive. Look at how much more advantage we have than that church in Thessalonica. First of all, they did not have drive through fast food service. They didn't have cars. They had a walk everywhere. They weren't able to go to Walmart and buy a new pair of sandals if it wore out. They didn't have the medical technology. They didn't have phones. Maybe some of the things are good that they didn't have. But we have incredible advantage just in our culture, but think of the advantage we have as a church. How fearful were you, well, maybe not, not a good time to ask, but how fearful were you in coming to church this morning? Fearful that you would be stopped, persecuted, and murdered by a mob. I imagine we weren't too concerned about that. We have other concerns on our mind, but we weren't too concerned about being persecuted, right? Not too many concerns. How many of you have in your hand right now a Bible? And you can count your phone too, because that's what I use 99% of the time. How many of you were able to sing songs this morning? Were you able to see that? How many of you are somewhat 
comfortable in your two-inch padded chairs this morning? Somewhat. Uh, even the temperature in this room was a little bit better than last week. I know we're hitting summer really hard. We did not have spring, or at least when I was inside, maybe we had spring, but I may not have noticed it happening. But we have incredible advantages as believers in this day and age. We often pine for the old good days, but those old good days were hard <laughs> compared to what we have today. And so you may think, oh, how neat it would have been to live in that first century Christian church where we didn't have all the trappings and problems we have in our modern church. We have incredible advantages as a modern church. Just the availability of God's Word. The fact that I can turn on the radio on the way home and listen to Christian music and preaching. The fact that I could spend countless hours on YouTube watching great teaching and preaching and listening to music. You would never have had that before. Your faith can be so strengthened and so encouraged. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of books you can read that they never had an opportunity to read if they could have even read. We have so much advantage. Is our faith as strong as theirs? Is our faith as noticeable as theirs? Is our faith as committed as theirs? With all the advantages we have, with all the benefits we've had, of all the times we've had Sunday school and VBS and all these extra Bible studies and life groups and services every week and special occasions where we have services, we are out-churching them to the nth degree. Can it be said of us that our faith is so noticeable that when someone visits, they say, wow, there are people of faith and love. I'll get there. But there are people of faith. I would rather be known as a church of faith than anything else. Faith and love. Well, and the gospel. And maybe there's a couple things, but faith is definitely way up there on the top of the list of what we need to be known for. And the only way that we can be a people of faith is reminding ourselves day in and day out of who God is and what he's done and what he's promised. We need to be God-saturated. We need to be filled with these stories. We need to be filled with his words of encouragement, his words of correction, and his words of hope. We need to be filled with his word day in and day out. In fact, uh, this idea of encouraging is something that we ourselves are to be doing with one another. In Romans chapter 1, verse 12, and let me just read verse 11 and 12, Paul says, I long to see you. See, that's a common theme with Paul when he starts a church and he hasn't been with them in a while. He longs to see them. He wants to visit them again. So he says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Paul's always looking for a way for the believer to take that next step, to get over that hurdle with whatever is stopping them in their faith to become stronger and more mature. That's Paul's goal. How can the gospel make you more mature, more on fire, more of a person of faith and love? And then he says in verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Faith again. 
And Hebrews tells us it's that unseen, glorious hope in God. Even though I don't see Him, I believe He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. It is absolute confidence in who I put my trust in. That is God. And I can't trust Him, I can't put my confidence in Him or my hope in Him if I don't know about Him. That is the value of investing yourself in God's Word because He reveals us or reveals Himself to us mainly in His Word. He does reveal us, He does reveal Himself to us in nature. He does. Even the stars declare, the mountains declare, the rivers, the birds, the trees all declare God's glory and His majesty, that He is, that He exists, that there's no excuse. But it's His Word that gives us special insight and understanding into how to live with a relationship with this God. I know there is one, but how do I live in a relationship with Him? Because on surface, it looks like it's really broken. It looks like the world is really broken. So Scripture tells us the rest of that story of creation, fall, judgment, grace, and a response. Tells us the rest of the story of who God is and what He expects of us. So Paul is super focused on how we encourage one another. Cue the video. That didn't really happen. I don't really keep the phone in the refrigerator, but we don't use those phones anymore, so I had nowhere else to put it at the moment. Uh, but that idea of just making each other's day better can be as simple as that encouragement. It obviously is, we're talking about encouraging in the Lord. We're talking about encouraging someone's faith to make that day just a little bit stronger. When was the last day you purposefully set out to make someone's day stronger in the Lord. It could have been something silly. It doesn't have to be, let's sit down and have a Bible study. It isn't one of these things, okay, let's go over your memory work. No, no, no. It could be something as simple as, hello. It can be something as simple as, maybe in this day and age, a firm handshake. That means a lot of trust you're putting in someone these days. It could be something as simple as, you know our God loves you. And that can be incredibly uplifting. You don't know the value that that encouragement can have to someone. And we're to mutually benefit each other's faith and make us each stronger. And Paul says, I get stronger when you encourage me and when I encourage you. And you get stronger when you encourage me and I encourage you. It's, it's a payoff for both people. Both people see a growth in faith when you uplift them 
in the Lord. And so Timothy reports back to Paul, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, that all of this is happening according to plan, and they are on fire with their faith. Their love and their encouragement is going gangbuster. Well, Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10, and gives another kind of little summary on how other people can affect us. And Paul kind of gives his personal story here about this. He goes, for now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul says, basically, my life feels very satisfied, not with all the stuff that I have, but because of you. Because your faith is strong, I now may live. Paul's saying, my life feels very complete now. I feel happy and satisfied because of your faith. That's amazing. That's amazing that someone's faith can have that much of a rub-off effect on how someone views how complete their life is. I don't think many of us would dare say, someone's faith, now I live complete. Not at all. But I'll tell you how encouraging someone's faith can be. Uh, previous church I was at, there was, a, there was a lady there who had, for years and years and years, struggled with alcoholism and just constantly came to me, Tim, I need you to pray with me. I'm struggling with this. It's, it's, it's really hard. And about two or three years went by, and I had said a couple things in passing, how are you doing, and eventually she kind of just disappeared. And hadn't seen her, hadn't, didn't respond to anything, and... Uh, about three years had passed, and she walks into the church. And yeah, I welcome her. I'm glad to see her back. And she says, you know, Tim, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but four years ago you were preaching through the book of Ephesians, and you came across, and she quoted the verse, and I don't even remember the verse. And she goes, and I remember what you said there, and God has never taken those words out of my mind, and I have wrestled with those words and what you said, to the point where I had to surrender my life over to God, and I am clean and drug-free and alcohol-free now. It's been about 18 months, and God has just told me that I need to get back in church because I cannot live this Christian life on my own. But it was because of what you said four years ago in a sermon. I had no idea what sermon she was talking about. Four years ago? I honestly have a hard time sometimes remembering what I just said when I got off the phone with someone, let alone four years ago. But it reminded me of something incredibly important that Paul is actually talking about here. I didn't remember that. It made no lasting impression on me. My life didn't radically change because of that verse or that message, but hers did. The Holy Spirit used something that I said that I don't even remember to change her destiny. She now was a child of God going to heaven, overcoming all of that sinful past she had. There can't be a better result than that. And I know what Paul is feeling. I now can live. I feel satisfied and complete and overjoyed in my role as a pastor if one life is so affected in a way that God uses their, His Spirit to change them. And if I had a small part in that, 
Amen and hallelujah. Praise God. It's all by grace. And Paul was feeling that towards them as a whole church. You complete me. I now can live. Those are dramatic words. I now can live. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. It is so easy to slip from that strong stance of a place where you say God's word is unwavering, my faith is unwavering, my confidence in him is unwavering. One virus and everyone is starting to question what's God's plan for my life? Does God really love us? Does he care for us? Is he really here? Is he really listening? Oh, faith is that key to standing firm. Reminding ourselves time and time again of what God has done through Christ. Reminding us time and time again of all those stories you might have heard in Sunday school. Reminding ourselves again and again and again of what God has accomplished. And if we remind ourselves, look at what God has accomplished, and here I am today faced with something that I feel is traumatic. Can God overcome that? Yeah. He started with Adam and Eve, giving them a plan of salvation. Started with the descendants of Adam and Eve, gave them a covenant. Yeah, he helped out Abraham a number of times. Oh, the number of times he helped out Isaac and Jacob. The number of times he helped out Joseph. The number of times he helped out all the judges and all the kings. The number of times he helped out the people of Israel. The number of times he helped out all those prophets of the Old Testament. And the times he helped poor Peter overcome his foot and mouth disease. And the number of times he's helped out every Christian in church history. The number of times he's helped you in the past. Can he help you today? Can he intervene today? Can he bring you peace and joy today? Or is all of the history now gone? And today erases everything God has accomplished. No, the person of faith says, I've got no idea what today brings, and it looks tough. But it doesn't discount the power of my God from the past to be my power today, to be my God today in the trials and tribulations. Faith says, I believe he can. It doesn't demand he must. It simply says he can, just like he has in the past. It is so important to read and reread those stories of great faith that God has put in his people and the great stories of his promises that have come to pass because it reminds us that his promises in the future are just as sure to happen if they all happened in the past. Well, Paul continues in verse, eight, uh, verse 9 and says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. But first of all, he starts out there by saying, we thank God, we can't thank God enough. Enough. For what you've done for us, basically is what Paul's saying. What have they done? Put joy in Paul's heart. Put joy in Paul's heart. 
demonstrate faith and demonstrate love. I don't think there's probably a day that went by where Paul was not thinking of the people he witnessed to, of the people that he brought the gospel to. Day in and day out, his mind was filled with, Lord, help them, protect them. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their service. Thank you for their reproducing the faith through their own evangelism. To the point where Paul has to break down and just pray earnestly and deeply. But before we get to that particular verse, there is um, a beautiful relationship that Paul brings out in Romans chapter uh, 13, uh, or 12, excuse me. And in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read two verses out of Romans 12. Oh, hold it. Nope. I am missing something here. I have different notes. I forgot something super important, but we're past that. It's in the YouVersion Bible app that you can access. We are in Romans 12, so we are in the right place. So Paul, Paul, Paul mentions that the church in Thessalonica, when Timothy receives the message, he continually prays and prays and prays and prays again and again for their faith to be strengthened and encouraged because their faith and their love is affecting him. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 15, we have a beautiful little verse that's recited other times as well as in Proverbs and in Deuteronomy. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Paul at this moment is seeing the church in Thessalonia just excited about God, and he's rejoicing with them, but he also knows at the same time there's persecution and trials that he's already talked about. So there are painful moments in their life as well, and so Paul relates to their painful moments as well, like, we're missing each other, and there's ways that I need to encourage your faith. And sometimes that message of, do I rejoice with them or do I mourn with them, kind of comes into our mind through the video. I'm so sorry, Laura. I know that you had for seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Woo! Guys, high five right here, right here. Give me um, some. Give me some. Wrong. Woo! Woo! We're celebrating, right? Wrong one. We're talking about her pet lizard that just died. Ooh. This is the weeping one, mm. not the rejoice one. Mm. I'll be back. Oh. Some of this. Hey, Laura, I think something happened to your pet lizard finally. What? What happened? Guys, I'm really sorry, but I was trying to, I think I hit that lizard you've been feeding out front with my car. Hey! Yes! <laughs> lizard car! <laughs> no! I rejoice! Oh, hold it. You're weeping? Well, I'm not weeping, but I'm pretty upset about it. Oh, it's pretty messed up. All right, some context because that may be rather confusing for those that don't know Laura or couldn't hear all the audio. Uh, Laura is an amazing church administrator that just happens not to like lizards of any type and shape and size or anywhere, even outside lizards she does not approve of. So in the first clip, we were lamenting the fact that her pet lizard had passed away and Preston was super excited about something and tried to rejoice while we were mourning the passing 
of her pet lizard. In the second clip, Preston was the one who had inadvertently ran over her pet lizard, and we were rejoicing over the fact that that happened, but Preston was in mourning for the, the pet lizard that passed away. All of that being said is that there are very appropriate times when Christians have something to rejoice over. When it is that time, it is okay to rejoice. It is okay to be happy. It is okay to just be excited and have a party about it. And there are times where it's inappropriate, where we suffer a loss or there is a pain or a sorrow that is so strong that it not only overwhelms us, but it overwhelms one another. And it is the Christian that enters into that mix and says, brother or sister, no matter what you're going through, I'm here to have a party with you, or I'm here to be filled with sorrow with you. And the believer makes that connection with every other believer in a very meaningful, impactful way that does nothing but build a person's faith, that builds a person stronger. And so Paul is getting at that fact that you're encouraging me, I'm encouraging you, I'm praying for you day in and day out. And here's Paul's prayer in the last part of chapter three, uh, 3 of 1 Thessalonians. It is an amazing prayer, and I also want to make sure that you notice how long the prayer is. Notice how long this is. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for each, everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. First of all, did you notice how long Paul's prayer was? Probably could have said it in one breath. Prayers don't have to be long, lengthy, and winded. Sometimes to the point, like I've said before, popcorn prayers are amazing. Those little messages to God that you are amazing, glorious, holy, and fantastic. Thank you for being in my life. It can end there. This is one of Paul's little popcorn prayers to the people, and notice the content. He starts out by saying, He's asking for God's favor and blessing in their life. Now may God, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. He still longs to be with them. And he knows, that, and we saw last week, that it is a spiritual battle that Paul fights. It's the devil himself that's keeping Paul from the church through all the persecution. Paul can't get there because of the spiritual warfare that's happening. And he's saying, may our God and Father and Jesus Christ clear away that we can be together. May he overcome those spiritual adversities so we may be together. He's praying for God's prevention and intervention in that situation. He goes on and says in this context, may the Lord, again asking for his favor, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Paul can't get off this kick. And often John is referred to as the apostle of love. But Paul talks about love far more often than John does, except in uh, a couple places. Paul is filled with love, loves talking about love. And he says, my one prayer for you, that I get to see you, 
and that your love would increase, that it would be noticeably stronger and greater today than it was tomorrow. He does not have to go through a list of what everybody wants and needs. He goes, I know what you want and need more than anything else. You need love. Now, love doesn't pay the bills. Love doesn't do all that. No, but spiritually, love is the most vital of all of our characteristics, of all of our attributes. Love. Love. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter, often read at weddings? Nothing wrong in that. But what does Paul say is the single most important thing? That if he could prophesy and speak in tongues, he doesn't say it in that chapter, but if he could heal every one of their diseases, is that more important than love? No. Love is the most important characteristic that we can have and strengthen. And Paul wants it for those people. We want it for each other. I want it for you. You want it for me. To increase in our love, our affection and care and interest in each other's lives spiritually. Paul wants it for it. In fact, he says, I want it to increase in overflow he wants it in abundance. And he ends in that verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, Paul knows that there's going to be a day of reckoning. There is going to be a day that ends all other days all other opportunities, all other other chances, a day is going to come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns with the holy ones that have passed before, and God is going to say, give me an account of your life. Give me an account. Tell me and show me how love grew in your heart. Show me your love. Show me your faith. And Paul says, I need to pray to this end. The day's going to come. No one knows the day or the hour, but in the meantime, may you be found on that day holy and blameless. May you be found on that day strengthened with love. May you be ready for that day. Sometimes a pastor's role is often defined and I know this is going to sound really, really, uh, uh, well, I'll just say it. Sometimes my job is sometimes I view my job as really being here to help get you ready to die. Okay, did you, did you hear that? I know that sounds really, really odd and strange and whoa did that take a weird, weird turn from talking about love all the way with death but sometimes those people's roles in your life especially in the context of a church can be seen as how do i prepare this person for that day how do i prepare them? well I, I like paul we need to be strong in our faith and love 
And we do that not dwelling upon death, recognizing, okay, it's going to happen, that day's going to come. Yes, I get it, but how do I get ready for it? Well, you get ready for it by living the Christian life to the fullest with faith and love. You do it by implementing that gospel in your life to the point where it overflows, where there's no doubt that your love for one another is clear and evident. It's more than just preparing people to die. I know it's preparing people to live in the here and now. I understand that. But Paul looks at the end goal and says, I need you to be ready for it. I need you to be ready for it. I need you to be ready for it. It's going to happen. It's not, it's not weird to think about. It's weird to dwell upon and get depressed over. It's wrong. But it's not weird to think, how do I get ready for that day? What does God want of me? He wants me to be holy and blameless on that day. He's preparing me to be the bride of Christ. He's sanctifying me. He's, he's ridding me of sinful habits and attitudes and feelings and thoughts and replacing them with, with love for others, self-sacrificing, giving to others. So why don't we strengthen those things? That's what Paul's getting at. How do I strengthen those things? How do I encourage you to live like the day's coming, but in the moment where love and faith increases? And that's our ending challenge to take home, is how can I encourage someone that I have contact with, socially distancing contact with, how do I encourage that person to love and faith to the point that they become stronger and more ready for the day of Christ's coming. That's our goal together. How do I get ready for that day? Living today, not dwelling on that, but living today, how can I be ready for that moment? Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you immensely for the encouragement that you've given to us through Paul. Thank you for his words of sincere love and faith for that church in Thessaloniki. And can we, Father, can we please be a church like that here in Pueblo, that the world around us would see us not for a building, not for programs, not for even community involvement, but can they see us as people of faith and love? Because, Father, I think that would draw people to you, someone that has hope and hope that is eternal. Help us, Father, to be those type of people. Help us to be those people that are clear with the gospel message that that is where our hope comes from. But, Father, may we be encouragers and may we receive the encouragement of others. In your name we pray.